Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark. I'm still at Lawless, and I'm here in person with Giles Wright. Giles, hello. Very, very good day to you, Eamon. We normally do these over Zoom in completely different countries, but here we are face to face, which is great. Fabulous. Because you're here in the UK and at Lawless, obviously, and we've had a great day, which we're going to talk about in a moment. You're my specialist on eclectic mixtures of Judge Dredd stories. Grab bags. Yes. <laughs> and you've chosen an inter- interesting collection today, which lets us talk about one particular writer. Tell us what we're talking about today. So we are talking about uh, a volume called Served Cold, which is uh, put out. It's one of the late um, Hachette Judge Dredd mega collections, number 87. And it is, I think there's 10 stories in total, and they are all held together by one fact. They're all written by Al Ewing. So it's an Al Ewing volume. As you say, it's volume 87 of the Judge Dread Mega Collection. Hard to get hold of now, but there are copies do pop up. It collects, as you say, 10 stories from the prog, starting in 1627, not sequential, but up to 1791, also the Meg, 280 to 360. We're in 2009, I think all the way up to 2015. That's right. Al Ewing. Now, I've got to take a deep breath now. Artists, John Higgins, Lee Gallagher, Nick Dyer, Andrew Curry, Ben Wilshire, Colin Wilson, Ben Oliver, Carl Richardson, Brendan McCarthy... Colours by Sally Ann Hurst, Adam Brown, Chris Brythe and Leno Grady. Lettered by Annie Parkas and Simon Boland. All under the editorship of Matt Smith. There, I've done all the credits. So, before we start talking about the particular stories, why this particular collection for you? Well, uh, so, I um, think that of all the um, writers that have, uh, have tackled Dread over the years... If we are going to um, take John Wagner as the cynic one on, as the, yeah. the first among equals, um, the template of Dread, I think that Al Ewing gets Dread the best in the Wagner mold. I think he understands uh, the exact mix of um, Dread the Bastard versus Dread um, the Hero. And I think he gets uh, the exact um, level of humour needed for each um each story there's a couple in here that are I don't know they're almost into pure comedy and there's a couple of really dark stories but even the dark stories have got a little um, skein of uh, humour in them which I think is is pure pure Wagner um, and you know this also is just is just a, a real great showcase of Al Ewing as a writer not just as a three act play writer uh, whether it's over uh, one and done um, six six pages in the, in the the prog, or in two of the big stories that actually are one's a sequel to the other, which probably comprise something like ninety pages. Uh, not only can he put a fabulous story together, but he can fabricate incredible characters uh, and a couple that are still with us today. So yeah, I'm very I'm very taken by him as a as a writer. I am not a big fan of. American comics, I'm not really a big fan of comics beyond 2000 AD, uh, but I've read uh, Zombo, and I've read Damnation Station, and I've read um, Dead Signal as well, um, and enjoyed all of those. And of course, oh yes, and and uh, Al also does quite a few um, very good Tales from the Black Museum hmm. as well, which is dread verse, but rather yeah. not dread. But yes, so I think I've more or less read everything he's done for the for Tharg. And I think he's a really, really tremendous writer. Okay, so you've mentioned that there's a great selection of stories in here. We get the sort of, as you say, we get some very humorous stories, we get some dark humorous stories, and then we get some very dark, grim and gritty stories. There's a sort of, um, well, let's say there's a recurring character that pops up, one in particular, that pops up through the sort of, the main stories. Tell us a little bit about the sort of the main story as it runs through this book. So there's there's two. So there's ten stories in this uh, in this volume, uh, and they can be broken down into two lots of five. So the first the first lot of five is, I guess it's a it's a. Um, let me just check the date. So it's 2011 to to, to 2015, and it's it's this idea that has been percolating in um, Al Ewing's writing where he's come up with this uh, and it's a real slow burn he's come up with this um, criminal 
grouping that he just calls the organization. That in the first story, uh, which gives the name to the to the volume Surf Cold, um, he breaks open uh, by way of this character called Della, who is being thrown out of the organization and he's 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 battling his way, not quite back in, but he's battling for for some kind of revenge. And then uh, the sequel, which took place three and a half years later, called The Cop, which reveals the the strength and the breadth of the organization. It actually not just um, spreads its tentacles throughout Mega City One, but um, uh, it actually starts in Paris um, as well. So it's got it's got a network across the Black Atlantic. And then those two stories sandwich uh, three smaller ones that all um, uh, deal with this organization. The Justice Department getting a sniff at it, and then getting a hit, and then finding the uh, the big bad and then taking on the big bad. And then the final five stories, um, while not connected in any way character-wise, um, they all um, uh, show, I think in all five of those, the city itself, the mega city itself, is mm. the character. And we see the city through the eyes of, um, you know, just ordinary sits, um, or, or at least maybe not ordinary sits always, but... Uh, uh, citizens. Uh, so one of them is is uh, a caretaker of a block. One is um, there's a, a bunch of millionaires in another story. One takes place in an ISO cube, um, and uh, another one is is from a retiree's point of view. But it's they're all how they interact with Mega City, and again, it's 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 Ewing like just just uh, writing these sort of uh, accreted layers on top of the um, on top of the the, the city and revealing you know fabulous interactions between citizens and the city they live in and we'll come back to some of those weird citizens in the in the sort of end stories a bit later on perhaps um you say that you know the volume's called serve cold the first story's called serve cold there's a vengeance type um thriller going on um did you want to say a quick word about the, the sort of hard-boiled noir friction of Richard Stark and yeah. his character. If I get it right, it's Parker, isn't it? It's Parker. Yeah. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so Parker is... Uh, it's this character written by an author called Donald Westlake who wrote about 105 books, um, just passed away in, I think, 2009, he passed away, writing from the 50s all the way to, um, to, the, to the noughties. And he wrote... Um, let me see... 28 books uh, under the pseudonym of Richard Stark from 1960 onwards, 61 actually, revolving around this character called Parker, who's never given a, a first name, uh, who's this phenomenal um, uh, hardened criminal. He's a great planner. He's a great stick-up guy. He's a great heist man. He's a great bank robber, or robber actually. And what I really like about this I mean he's he's a great character and it's great that um, Al Ewing's taken him and putting him to, to Mega Seed 1 but if I, if I tell you that to describe Parker um, I would say he's he's hard as nails he's uh, not drawn to violence but he will engage in violence if it means him getting to his goal if he to get from A to B needs to kill six people he'll do it I mean he'll take no joy in it but equally he won't waste his time crying over it. He's an incredibly good tactician. He's a man of very few words. Um, he is very honest, will never double-cross anybody. Uh, he's very loyal to the very few friends he has, but if something happens to them, they get uh, bagged by the cops or they get killed. He is not sentimental for a single moment. He's got no time for small talk. Um, he's pushed forward almost entirely by this incredible force of will. I mean, he's been tortured in innumerable books, innumerable books, and has never given uh, up a word. In, in fact, that's what happens in, in Surf Cold. The character Della that's based on Parker doesn't, doesn't give up a word. And when he's on the job, he's a total monk. No interest in sex. After the job's done, he changes yeah. his time. So I could almost be describing... Judge Dredd. Mm. Hard as nails. Yes. Not sentimental, a man of few words, no small talk, you know, a force of will, and a monk. I mean, so it's it's incredible that that um, Al has, who clearly loves uh, the Parker character from the Richard Stark books, has taken this and injected him into Mega City 1. 
and then discovered that you know he's got so many parallels to Joe Dredd. It's it's almost unbelievable. So yes, the 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 two do bounce off each other. Um, he is super formidable. Um, uh, Parker or Della, sorry, as, he, as he's called in these in these stories, starts off on a revenge mission and goes and. Dread is sort of almost an incidental character. He's mm. just caught in Della's wake and he's perennially uh, playing catch up. And then when Della, um, well, Della does appear again in one of the stories in the middle, and Dread doesn't even know that Della's there. He's just a ghost. And then Della turns up again in uh, the final chapter of the, um, of the organization stories. And. Dread does sort of get the better of him, but he sort of doesn't. So yeah, I mean, he he we end we end the book and and just like all the Parker books, you know, Della will get to fight another day. He might not be in a very bad way. He might, in the case of this book, he's, he's in hospital bed, but um, he's he's still unbroken. He's a remarkable character in this book and a remarkable opponent for Dread because, as you say, he is he appears to be basically he's like dread he's, but he's he's yeah he's sort of um yeah dread through through the looking glass yes yeah. exactly dread through the looking glass remarkable as you say he does not crack under interrogation or pressure mm. or anything like that um yeah absolutely remarkable character and um I mean, we're going to talk about Al Ewing obviously moving on from 2000 AD to the American markets, uh, where we probably haven't followed him particularly because um, our interest is, as you say, 2000 AD. But is Della, as far as we know, Della, I mean, he's still out there, but he hasn't been picked up again since, presumably. Um, as I understand it, he hasn't. Um, no, he's, he's, he's there. Yeah, like I said, I mean, we don't really want to spoil too much, but no. um, he is. Uh, you know, he comes off the worst uh, against Judge Dredd, but he is still um, he's still able to make a comeback. Uh, has anybody picked him up? Uh, no. But then again, somebody has picked up another great character that's introduced in this yes. book, Judge Maitland. Yeah. And she is, you know, literally two months ago in the Meg, just wrapped up an enormous um, story. So that was, you know, again, that when did she get introduced? She was introduced twenty twelve, so here we are eleven years later, and she is a fundamental part of the uh, of the two thousand AD canon. Um, so, touch wood. Yeah. Um, touch wood. Someone who pick him up, or better yet, Al Ewing comes back and picks up Della. We hope so. Yeah, Judge Maitland will just mention because recently I sort of misattributed Judge Maitland to Rob Williams, mm. who of course is now writing. He's her. done most. He's taken the baton and sort of yes. run. I don't know, seven laps of the stadium, whereas Al Ewing just ran the one, but yeah. And we were just listening to Rob downstairs talk in a panel actually about writing, and of course she's the accountancy judge, but here she makes her first appearance, yeah. created by Al Ewing. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's, a, I mean, again, just a great character created and a great sort of addition to the uh, the regular roster of judges in the Dread in the Strip. Um, yeah, fantastic. Obviously, you've mentioned John Wagner. He is the Dread writer. But there's been so many other people who've tried to do Dread. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to spoil this slightly by saying that this was the most John Wagner stories written by somebody other than John that yeah. I've, I've read recently. Yeah. He just seems... Al Ewing just seems to nail Dread straight away, it mm-hmm. seems, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I mean... Say something about, you know, because he's got to manage the procedural, the grimness, the noir, the comedy, the dark humour. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I guess, again, it's no spoilers to say he does it pretty well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, again, like I said uh, earlier, he he just gets... um, I think John always said, Dredd is 50% good guy, 50% bad guy. And Ewing does that through all of the stories. Um... And like I said, there's there's a there's a variation of the of the degree of humour. Hardly any actually in in the cop and served coal. Uh, but then, uh, screaming humour in let's say rehab, which is one of the later stories, and it's maybe fifty fifty in the Americans. I mean, you you can't really read the Americans, which is actually quite a serious story, and quite a sad ending. But it it's the whole thing is infused with with humour, not. Um, uh, the least because of Nick Dyer's superb art um, but yes equally in these two stories or in these five let's say that, that, that uh, revolve around the organisation 
you get uh, Dread as tactician, uh, Dread as 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 a headbuster, Dread as um, the the procedural Dread, and then he's pulling in. And what yeah, what I really like about about Al Ewing as well, he he steps so softly on Dread Law L O R E Law, not uh, I am the Law. I mean, he brings in uh, brings in various different characters, and he interactively folds the story into to what's what's gone before um i mean yeah for instance he brings in rothman for half a page mm. in this and uses him perfectly he brings in and we'll discuss it later the holocaust squad uh and i think the holocaust squad are, are such a fun um for interesting idea for a squad of judges who are they only take suicide missions and because of that they are allowed enormous latitude so they're allowed to have they're allowed to drink. They're allowed to smoke cigarettes. They're allowed to do drugs. They're allowed to have sex. You know, they're allowed to beat up other judges. And yet, and I, I do quite enjoy those two Robin Smith Holocaust 12 um, strips from 10 years ago or so. But Al Ewing does more with the Holocaust squad in four pages hmm. than anybody else did. He just, he just gets them. In Dr. Watt... Uh, this retired um, scientist. It turns out Dr. Watt uh, worked on Proteus. Um, and then in the Americans, there is the, the MacGuffin at the heart of the Americans is something called File Alpha, which I will not spoil at all. But um, it's, a, it's, you know, whatever. It doesn't really make a difference to the story. But it turns out to be a massively, you know, if you know your dread law, when that gets explained what File Alpha is, you want, God, that's, that's enormous. Mm. And, and yet... Al Ewing, as well as writing Dread in the exact same Wagner voice, can uh, tiptoe through all of these these narratives that are that are going. And you know, now here we are, forty six years down down the uh, down the tunnel, and there's thousands of narratives that can go. He can go back, and it's not fan service. He picks these things up, does them with such respect, and folds them in in really interesting ways into his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know. A perfect voice. I mean, again, we've just been on the panel with, uh, or seen the panel with Rob Williams and Mike Carroll, who are tremendous writers, but they're just very different, and they've got their and they they kind of build their own their own universes. Whereas Ewing can build his own universe with the, with the organisation, and then do five other stories that are they're just they're just weekly dreads, or they're maybe rehab is maybe four episodes, and he's not treading on anybody's toes. And he's doing really interesting stuff. And he also, I mean, I guess other writers do this as well, and I perhaps don't always notice, but he does that thing of laying track or planting seeds that he's going yeah. to come back to in later stories, yeah. which I always think John became superlative at it, you know. Um, I think particularly once John realised that Dread was a, um, a long runner, as it were, mm. you know, he became very good at starting to plant those seeds that he would use later on. Mm. And Al Ewing, I thought, does that very well in this volume as well. Mm-hmm. You see stuff and then, you know, several stories later, he's going to come back to it, which is, just works brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, he does. I mean, again, the, the, the big one, obviously, is Judge Maitland, who's still with us. He tries something with another judge called Judge Bennett, which... Yes who turns up in, I think, three stories. And I don't know whether he sort of fizzled out or not. He was a... He's a, a rookie that judge the, the Dread passes out and then works with him uh, on a couple of things. And actually, what's quite nice about that... Yeah, he's in th- two stories here and then he's in a story in the other Al Ewing um, collection, uh, Blaze of Glory. Um, and he sort of seems to be... It's almost like Dread's, you know got him under his wing and he's he's teaching him and then and deferring to him on on quite a few occasions which is quite nice um but yes the the big one is this this thing uh the organization which he weirdly um and i always have i always have massive praise for carl who puts these things together and um Keith, sorry, Keith Richardson, uh, not Carl Richardson, who's an artist in this, this collection. Uh, sorry, yeah, Keith Richardson, who I, I love his editorial uh, decisions. But um, I, there's a story in Blaze of Glory, the other Al Ewing collection, that I would really like in here. It's called, it's a one, one part of the Meg called uh, What's Another Year? Um, and again, it's Al Ewing just, it's, it's during Dredd's time when Dredd was exiled from the city, and Ewing just writes this beautiful 
one and done story um, that's so respectful of the wider world and, and just gets dread. But there's a bit of the organisation in there and there's a bit of the, I forget what the, what the character's name is, but the, the guy that's running one part of the organisation who Della goes after straight, uh, immediately, he's in it. He, and he's got, he's in it for half a page and he's got seven or eight lines, very minor character. But it's nice that, I mean, Surf Gold is 2011. I think that's, that was the Christmas special in 2010. The, the Christmas special, the, well, the, the Christmas Meg in 2010. So yeah, Ewing's laying track from way back, given that he concludes the organization in 2015. It's, it's, it's way back when. So yeah, he's, he's having lovely, lovely ideas that he's throwing out. And who knows um, if he'd stayed with, with uh, Under Thug's tutelage or, you know, writing. Maybe the tech guy from Magic Bullets could have had a, a, a longer, longer thing. Maybe the Michael Caine character from the Americans could, could have come back. Mm. Um, I don't know. Okay. I just I, I do always love uh, when Dredd recognises a young judge with potential, recognises yeah. something in them, and he does that with Bennett. You know, yes. if the only thing perhaps is Bennett is almost too deferential to Dredd, and Dredd is saying, you know, you're running this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's switch away from the writing for a moment. We're going to come back to those, some of the other stories and some of the other characters in a minute. Just to say, we've got a wonderful lineup of artists in this book, mm-hmm. a couple of whom are downstairs or have been downstairs today, John Higgins and Ben Wilshire. Yeah. Um, and uh, Disraeli's got a cover in the back of here as well. Oh, yes, of course, he has. He did the Doctor Watt cover, yes, didn't he? That's yes. Right. Um, what did you make of the art in this collection? Um, really varied. Uh, and for the most part, in fact, I think almost every uh, thing, every artist is perfectly placed for the story that they're doing. I think Higgins uh, handles the first part of the of the Della, um, the first chapter of the Della story, and it's very it's very dark, uh, coloured of course by by Sally, who's also downstairs, Sally Hurst, um, and what's really unusual and funny because it's a slow build-up a lot of the violence takes place off panel um a lot of the killings take place off panel um and then you fast forward four years and there's ben wilshire who you know i i met you introduced me to him actually uh, th- th- this morning i met and had a, a couple of chats with um and he's a very lovely charming gent mm. and yet my God, is his art in this volume violent? Yes. You know, so whereas, um, you know, Sally and, and, and um, uh, John are, are, you know, doing it, it's very low key. And there's a lot of talking heads and sort of meeting people in rooms and meeting people in car parks. Um, I think that's kind of perfect for it. But I think Wilsh is perfect for the, for the second one. I think both the Nick Dyer stories, uh, in particular the Americans at the end, which is very combustible mix of uh silly humor and really silly nick dyer art especially when it's colored he always he always gets a bit zany uh with something you know the through line is is incredibly um important in particular that the relationship between britsit and um and mega city one if, if it goes one way or the other it could ruin it that mm. relationship between between the two um, and then an artist I'm not massively uh, familiar with, Ben Oliver, uh, who's got a very, very dark, photorealist, um, uh, sort of smudgy style. I don't think he would have been great doing any of the other stories, but Cockroaches, when he does it, which is a one and done in the prog, is perfect for him. And then, you know, uh, somebody who you love who, who hasn't been in the, at this point, wasn't in the, the pro for a while, Colin Wilson. I think, again, he is the perfect artist for, for the story he does. And I don't, would he have been as good doing the bean counter? I kind of don't think he would have done. So it, right. it's, it's great work from Thug to say, this is the artist that I want for this and I'll have Lee Gallagher for that and... And, and, and. So, yeah, that's, again, I might be being a little bit political and a bit, uh, a bit neutral, you know, Switzerland neutral here, but I think every artist is perfectly placed for the story that they, that they draw. Good job, Thog. 
Well done. It's good to go on the match in, yes. Yeah. Uh, as you've mentioned, Lee Gallagher, we don't see very often on Dread. Colin Wilson, we haven't seen him for a mm. while. Brendan McCarthy turns up at the end for the Dr. Watt story, yeah. I think. Um, but yes, uh, John Higgins to begin with, and uh, we're going to be coming back to Ben Wilshire, I guess, possibly, and one of the other artists you so, mentioned yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, there's this wonderful Della story, continuity, mm-hmm. through the, the Surf Cole and the Cop story. Um, there's also, as you've mentioned, uh, there's a bunch of other stories that Al Ewan wrote mm-hmm. towards the end of the volume. Um, a lot of them are sort of one and dones. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also get, they introduce, as you say, some wonderful characters in themselves. You sort of hinted already, there's the Michael Caine, his Harry Palmer spy sort of parody, which I yeah. thought was really great fun. Yeah. Um, did you? I mean, obviously you did, but the, you know these other characters that Al Ewan introduces, you found those uh, interesting and entertaining as well. I did, yes. I mean, I, I'm I'm less uh, keen on Doctor Watt uh, just because I'm not a massive Doctor Doctor Who fan. But also, if you look at the credits, um, it's uh, the writing is from an idea by Brendan McCarthy, right, and Al Ewan. So I get the feeling that uh, this is. Uh, sort of passion project uh, by McCarthy, who's an artist. It's obviously led by the art, and it's totally psychedelic and crazy. Um, it's not a bad story. I'm not in any way saying that, but you know, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. And then I, I get the feeling McCarthy said, "I've got this idea, but I need a, a proper writer to to, to formalise it, formalise the structure." It was in the prog. I think it's a two two prog. Um, yeah. Two, two. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Two progs back to back. Um, yeah, what, what is what is that exact? Uh, seventeen twelve and seventeen thirteen. It but says the, the credit is um, from an idea by art and concept Brendan McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's I mean great and and very silly. And uh, you know, again, um, we've we've both mentioned uh, the Americans, and I, I would quite like that to turn up. So this is a, a British spy has come to Mega City One to 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 take something. This um, this famous uh, file alpha. And then Justice Department wipes his memory and places him, gives him an assumed identity that he doesn't realise he has. And he's, he becomes what he hates, which is a gauche, a gauche American, right? Uh, whereas he, he always thought he was a nice stand-up Brit. Um, and the, but then also, whoa, you know, the, 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 the big one is cockroaches. Um, a one-off uh, from 2009. Uh, so yeah, so strangely, these these five stories at the back of the of the pro of the back of the collection uh, that come in the collection that come after all of the Della stories actually appeared in the prog and the Meg before. So they all they all predate uh, the Della stories by at least two years. Al Ewing doing a lot of stuff sort of two thousand nine, two thousand ten. But uh, yeah, um, this is just a you know we think he's a working stiff because the um, it opens up with a. Uh, Hershey and Dread giving out um, medals of valor to long-serving mega city mega citizens, and one of them is a, is a janitor who's been cleaning up a building for for this long, and then another one is this is this guy who then after the ceremony corners Dread and says, "Can I have a word?" And Dread, of course, his instinct is to pull a gun and put it in his eye, but he remembers who this guy is, and this guy's you know it turns out this guy is city deaf on this one single block. And he's been so long in the block that he he protected the block from Judgment Day and Necropolis and the Apocalypse War and the Nero Narcos uh, saga. And there's one other that they mention. Um, and he just says to Dread, "Hey, I've got this. Um, uh, I've got this, this. I've met you before, and it was when we were defending this turnpike from the Sobs." And Dredd, and this is whatever, this is 35 years previously, and Dredd goes, yeah, I remember. And not only do I remember it, but let me tell you a bit of information about that attack that you didn't know. Um, which is so it's amazing that Dredd can just pull these things up. And again, there's, there's, uh, there's not, that's not Wagner laying track, but that's, that's um, Al Ewing riding the tracks that, uh, that, that um, Wagner's, Wagner's laid. And then it goes off in a very weird, very unusual um, direction. Again, this is six pages, and he, he Dread drives away on page four. He's got two more pages, and he, 
the story takes the weirdest left turn ever. Now again, phenomenal writing, phenomenal. Just, I mean, I, I keep going back to that story and rereading it. How I miss anything here? Um, could that character? Ca that character is still out there. He's still out there, presumably. He's still yes. out there doing, doing things. Mm. Yeah. I, I I thought that story was remarkable because, as much as Dread got Della mm. in a way, because yeah. you know, mirror image. Um, this story, as you say, Dread disappears after four pages because he's 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 allowed this chap sixty seconds mm. to tell his story. Mm. And clearly he's done a dread at 60 seconds, I'm done, and I'm moving on. And he doesn't wait for the end of the story. Yeah. And Dredd misses, in a way, yeah. misses something on this one, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a remarkable story. Um, I'll mention, I mean, I, obviously I enjoyed the Harry Palmer. I have to say, the Doctor Watt story, and I'm, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, mm. I didn't reread it this time because actually I found Do the Doctor Watt story too silly. For yeah. me, it, it's very intense as well. I mean, look, yeah. those, you're, you're turning the, the pages in front of me, and the psychedelic, just yeah, it's, it's a it's Brendan a, McCarthy psychedelic. I love the Disraeli cover that it got, yeah, but um, actually, I found that story to be the slight strange odd fish in this. And now that you've sort of pointed out to me that actually it was probably originally concept from Brendan rather than out you, and that might explain it because mm. it did seem slightly out with all these other stories, mm. which even 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 in the funny ones had this sort of dark turn to them, don't they? Um, there's also we've had um, you know we've had Dread and the judges experience other versions of themselves mm. at different countries of the world. But also in here, Al Ewan gets a different version of the judges from another dimension. Yeah. In, is that the rehab story? Rehab, that's Yeah, right. which is an interesting little twist as well that he does there. I, I found that sort of stuff much more entertaining. Yeah, yeah really, really. Well, I mean, this is it. Again, this is um, outside of the, of the Della stories, outside of Della sort of um, uh, fiver. Um, he does, he, you know, as as well as showing us how Mega City One appears to the citizens, he is really good at um, at showing how different systems work. So, for instance, in the Magic Bullet story, uh, this tech entrepreneur comes up with these magic bullets, right, that aren't even fired from a gun and are impossible to trace. So he's exploring, Al's exploring what would Mega City be like if the judges were totally powerless. You know, they didn't even know, you know, they, 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 they couldn't track trajectory, couldn't, couldn't do anything. Um, and then uh, in the bean counter, of course, he's, he's lightened the, the, the blue touch paper for what we're seeing uh, Maitland doing now with her experiment in one city block where, OK, let's put more money into education and rehab than, than crime. And then so rehab is a story, yes, where there's a, an, another dimension where the citizenry of a parallel, let's say, megacity, um, have had none of the citizenry or judges experience anger or frustration at all. And any time they do, I mean, they're, they're on like on sort of step 13 of a, of a 12 step program, you know, they, they know that, uh, you know, when, when, it all, when it all starts to get stressful, you know, their, their stress level of one would be sort of our stress level of ten. <laughs> they would just, you know, sing Kumbaya around a around sort of campfire. Um, and, yeah, so Andrade goes into that that universe and, you know, the, the entire ju Justice Department, every single judge, you know, his his alter ego, uh, the Azat's Dread in that one, of course, says he's, he's got a catchphrase and it's not, I'm the law, it's I'm the community. <laughs> So yeah, again, even in the silly throwaway story, and there are some really goofy moments in there because uh, a lot of lot of cons from a, an ISO cube get dragged in to the alternate universe as well to be rehabilitated by these uh, these write-on judges. Um, but even there, you do wonder, my God, well, you know, Mega City One could well do with going, you know, quite a way down that road. It doesn't need to go to this extreme. Um, you know, extreme ridiculousness, but it could well do with moving away from, you know, the basket case it is, especially post mm. post chaos. So, if we go back to um, the sort of overarching story arc of of Sir Cold and the Cop, 
Are they the best uh, in this particular volume? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm biased. I'm an enormous Richard Stark fan. I've read all the Parker books. Um, I love Westlake's writing, and I think Al Ewing channels that perfectly. I mean, even from I don't know whether you've read any uh, Richard Stark, no. but he Stark begins all of his uh, books with the first the first sentence of any Parker novel is something like the way that. Um, Ewing starts served cold, which is when the fuel truck hit the roadway, Della was already moving. So Stark, and he, he starts the cop that same way. He, he, Stark always starts his books um, with uh, an active active verb and uh, Parker in the books is, is going. And he says in interviews that um, he did that so that, you know, he's getting straight to the action. And there it is, you know, he... he He's, he's straight in, he's on Devil's Island and uh, somebody has formulated, outside of his knowledge, formulated a traffic accident that stops all traffic for about two minutes. And Della is such a, such a hardened wolf, always looking for an opportunity that he jumps at it uh, immediately. Um, so they are phenomenal. I love the cop. I like... Uh, the two in the middle that are also organizations stories although only one of them only in one of them does uh, Adela turn up uh, so what the Hitler saw which is a very unusual uh, story that deals with I don't know almost nominative predetermination you know mm. it sort of deals with you know if, if I if you know it's it's a guy it's an actor who's playing Hitler and you know, I don't. I don't want to play this. I'd rather play Charlie Chaplin. But uh, you know, the, the, does the fact that I play Hitler day in day day out make me Hitler? Um, and then there's another one. Uh, it's not a great story, but it's called the Rich Cabaret. That comes right after. Uh, it's the episode after the Bean Counter, the um, Maitland story, uh, where which is a really, really. Um, it's a very Parker-esque story that Parker goes into. Um, a, an office and affects a robbery but it's not really a robbery it's actually he's going to hack into a computer and leave the computer open pretending that he was stopped midway through the crime but in fact what he's done is planted a false name so that Dredd and actually as it happens Maitland as well uh, come in and see that name and the computer now that is I think Stark did that at least twice in the Parker books that that Parker would break into something and leave some false evidence mm. that would that would push people into um, into different uh, uh, you know different directions the direction he wanted them to do that would open up you know open up something for him. Della is a force of nature, and you know, in as we say, Al Ewing and John Wagner plant seeds. Della is also planting seeds in a way to lead Dread in a certain yeah. way. Um, well, yes, I mean, he, he in the first story he uh, kills another judge um, and wounds Judge Giant, um, and then he, he, he. You seem to think he does that with the with the. Uh, sole, sole, uh, you know, his sole reason being he's going to take the judge's belt and the judge's badge, which he then takes to a collector of these things, who then auctions it, which leads Dread back to him. But it's sort of a false breadcrumb trail. Yeah, so exactly, he's he is in the first two stories, and for quite a bit of the third story, the cop, he is ahead of of Dread, and and in fact he gets away. From dread in the first two, and, and like I said, in in, in the the uh, second one, uh, the rich cabaret, dread doesn't even know who he's dealing with. He doesn't even know he's being played, just by this by this ghost that's hmm. uh, watching him, but not uh, not being watched. So that I mean, that's all rem- remarkable, uh, remarkable, and it's really great stuff by Al Ewing and his various artists. Um, from the rest of the stories, we've you know we've sort of mentioned them, but any particular favourites? Uh, yeah, cockroaches. Cockroaches is the one that I, I keep coming back to. It's it's so nicely written. It's it's uh, it's quite a sweet story in the first four pages, and then it very rapidly turns very very dark. And then I also 
really love uh, the Americans. So the Americans was written, it's a one-off in the Meg. And just rereading it for this podcast, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by what Ewing can do in, so Cockroaches is six, six pages, he does that really well, and, and he gets 10 to play with the Americans. And I, I just thought as a mental experiment to myself, what would he have done if he only had to say, if it was a prog story and not a Meg? And I think you would have had to slice out, there's a pretty a whole page taken up with um, the Harry Palmer character meeting his uh, uh, contact in Mega City One. Mm. And they have lunch and they, they talk about how greasy the hamburgers are, etc. That probably could have been wiped. And then maybe you could have lost a page here and then concised pages there, but it would have taken away the the joy of the story. You know, just with that extra four pages that Al Ewing gets to breathe with. He really fashions something absolutely excellent. And yet, you know, same same artist, same writer, the bean counter, um, a couple of years later with Maitland, that's in and out in six, and it's as concise, you know. Would that have been flabby with another four? Maybe. Um, it's he's he's a master of, of his craft. Yeah, he is, and of course, um, great sadness that we've lost him to the American art uh, markets. We can see why reading this sort of stuff because he does nail it um, very early on. And uh, yeah, I will just mention cockroaches again. Remarkable, yeah. Because you know, like dread, we think we're reading a story about post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. and yeah. how you deal with bad stuff. And Dredd doesn't wait to the end of the story. And then we get the end of the story and it's like, oh, <laughs> without spoilers, it's quite, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shock. It's, it's a shock. I mean, almost, you know, I, I said it takes a left turn in the in the final uh, two pages. I think it almost, it almost takes a left turn in the final four panels. Yes. Yeah. And you have to go back and read the whole thing again. Yeah. And go, wow, okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, that was the one that stood out to me as well. I love the I love the Harry Palmer th- stuff, but cockroaches, yeah. you know, remarkable, almost worth the price of admission to this volume alone. But then you get the wonderful Della through line, which is fantastic as well. Okay, remarkable stuff. Um, let's play Grail Pages. Great. Now <laughs> we'll mention that Ben Welsh was downstairs and he did have some pages. He's got two from pages from Cop. From Cop. And there's a great moment, we looked at the page, because there's a great moment, again, without spoilers, where Dredd is um, assisting in the interrogation of a suspect, mm. and he offers the suspect a synthicaf coffee, mm. which is unlike Dredd. Yeah. And we won't find out for several pages why he did that, which is remarkable as well. Yeah, great moment, and we saw that page downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody bought it, but it wasn't us. But uh, anyway, let's go to this remarkable lineup of artists and give you a couple of pages from this book. What's it going to be? Great. Well, I will take uh, as my first one. Um, I know you're always super generous with these things. I will take um, my first one. I'd like is uh, from the Bean Counter. And it is the second page from the Bean Counter, which introduces to us Judge Maitland. Um, and she gets, uh, so, she, so Dredd is just on a mission, um, busting heads and busting, busting kneecaps. And then uh, he's, somebody sneaks up behind him, or three people sneak up behind him. And uh, they get, they all get taken out and flip the page and they're in a full, uh, full, full height of the page. There is this remarkable Judge Maitland who we've come to love um, and know uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the sort of intervening 12 years with a smoking gun. And then you get three lovely uh, panels, again, more, a bit more dread action, taking a perp out who's trying to uh, sneak up on him. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is something else. She looks great. Um, I love the smoking gun. She turns out to be, well, she's the bean counter. She is head of accounts department and pilloried by dread uh, as being a desk jockey, and yet her first appearance is, uh, you know, she shows that she can go in there with uh, hot lead and firepower and, and take no prisoners. It is a real pity that um, Nick Dyer hasn't happened upon the wonderful styling that we've got later with Judge Maitland, which is on her left shoulder. The shoulder pad has a, a percentage sign on it to yeah. indicate accounts to bond, which is one of the funniest and nicest things I think... Um, that has happened in the last sort of six or seven years, uniform-wise. But she looks amazing. 
She's drawn as what looks to me like a African American by Nick Dyer. Later on, different people. Boo Cook draws her as 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 white, and I think I can't remember who it is, but somebody else draws her as almost Latina. Um, so it's but it's interesting seeing her as as if not black, then then mixed race. Don't know why Dyer went that way. She looks great. Uh, Fantastic page. Fantastic yeah, introduction sure. of a character. Yeah. I do miss the, uh, as you say, the D percentage sign on the pads yeah, for the accounting, accounting judges. Um, it's also got a wonderful dread moment where he's carrying out conversation, but he's also, as he says, multitasking and dealing with the guy who's and, and trying she, to creep up with them. Yeah. Um, and this is, as you say, the introduction of Judge Maitland by Al Ewan and Nick Dyer, uh, a character that we've gone on to know and love. Um, I was... I'm glad that this is the introduction because I was slightly, I'm slightly confused by her depiction in the next story by Andrew Curry, um, which is very odd. Yeah. Yes, baffles me a bit. But uh, there you go. Well, but, there, there's another. You know, you're, you're talking about cockroaches. I have to keep coming back to to that to that one where yeah, she she's basically um, uh, dreads second, uh, and they're they're doing a bust, and for some reason she's. Got to cut down Justice Department uniform, which is, you know, making full use of her boobs and and um, she got her boobs out and and, and, and bum and, and and legs. It seems that there doesn't seem to be a reason for it. She's not no. in the cover. She's not Wally Scott. And Dred's got his zip down at half mast as well. And of course, Dred would never. Is it is it very hot in there? <laughs> it must be. Know. Must be. Yeah. Okay, so. We'll go back to Judge Maitland uh, by Nick Dyer and obviously Al Ewing. We'll give you that page. Wonderful stuff. We've also got uh, someone else to talk about, haven't we? Um, this is for my second, uh, yes. second thing. So I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I'm going to push push your generosity and say for my second page, I'd like a double page spread. I don't know how you're going to post this in the socials, but there you go. This is the uh, denouement of the cop. It's about four pages from the end. And this is Dredd, um, you know, facing off against against the big bad, the head of the organisation, as it happens. And he can't do it himself on his own, so he calls for help. And who does he call? He calls the Holocaust Squad, who come out because they love their suicide missions. They come out. There is a rad storm going on outside the window. Dredd is inside, and for reasons that will become clear when you read it, he can't take out this this guy. So he calls an Holocaust squad who come in on jetpacks through uh, the Radstorm to take the guy out from the other side of the window. Uh, and then, you know, this, this guy is saying, you know, what, what, kind of, what kind of crazy madman would actually be in a, in a you know, in, in jetpacks in a, in a Radstorm? Anyway, beautiful, um, beautiful cutout of Dread uh, in the top left-hand corner. This is Ben Wilshire. Um, and then you get in the bottom right-hand corner, you get the uh, fractured narrative of what he did half an hour earlier. And then inside, you get this incredible picture of uh, the, the the bad guy, the, the head of the organisation, who's inside the room. And then eight, nine, ten members of the Holocaust squad, all in various um, poses, who are the, on the other side of the window, and you've got this lovely sort of green glaze over the, uh, over the top of them. He's taken by surprise... It's all in a day's work for the Holocaust Squad. Dredd has got an amazing, um, uh, you know, scowl on his face. The way that Wilshire draws, um, it's so simple because it's just, it's just a, a sort of a C at 90 degrees. They left a C at 90 degrees, but absolutely perfect scowl on Dredd's face. That is phenomenal depth in the picture. Um, lovely detail. Uh, speaking about the uniforms, the lovely... Um, skull that the holocaust squad wear on their on their helmets um yeah and uh yeah a lovely wrap to the story it's fantastic double page spread um i think it's adam brown who's doing the colors for ben on this one and they're both doing outstanding work it's you know it's very dynamic uh it's all at an angle across the page um you've got a little bit of dread top left and top right as well as you say Mm. um just beautiful stuff um, goodness knows how much this would have been from Ben <laughs> but it's yeah absolutely beautiful so we're going to give you all of these grail pages the double page spread by Ben Wilshire uh, Nick Dyer's introduction of Judge Maitland um, 
Ben Wilshire's work on the cop, I think, is fantastic. Yeah. It's a shame we haven't had any Ben Wilshire on Dread recently, actually. Seems to have been a while, hasn't it? Mm. I know he was away doing Roy of the Rovers and stuff like that, and he's now back doing Durham Red, I think, in the yeah, pod. Yeah, doing all Durham Red, that's great. Yeah. Um, Carousel, is that the last thing he did? Right. Or has he done one thing since? Hmm. Well, we're going to ask him. To- we're going to ask him tomorrow and find out. Yes, there we go. I'm just going to quickly mention that I would love at some point to have in my collection a page by Colin Wilson. Mm-hmm. So I have chosen a page which you pointed out is also the red end papers of this mm-hmm. mega collection, um, and it's just Colin Wilson doing dread shot from above. There's an explosion, mm-hmm. dread at the bottom. Um, just a wonderful moment of Colin Wilson. I I would probably prefer his very early black and white stuff, but you know I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so I'm going to take that page and again right. post it on the socials when they come out. Fabulous. Although too violent to, to hang on your wall. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, I have to rotate what I can. I can. <laughs> um, you mentioned there's the Hitler story. He did have a Hitler page downstairs, and I thought that's still there, isn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah. I don't. I think people are slightly put off by a character dressed as Hitler on that one. But there you go. Um, so this is the Mega Collection Volume 87 Served Cold by Al Ewing and all the wonderful artists uh, it's out of print so you're going to have to head to eBay to get this particular volume but it is remarkable um, I'll go back to the progs to read those stories the, uh, the Della Run and Cockroaches particularly mm. is fantastic yeah. um, there's another Al Ewing collection which I know you had today because you were um, you had it I think were you getting it signed yeah there's there's actually more more people downstairs at, at Lawless that contributed to that um, uh, collection than, than this one yeah so yeah Blaze of Glory came out by published by Rebellion last year um, fabulous and also so if you get if you pick Blaze of Glory up and you pick up Serve Cold and Trifecta you've very nearly got every single thing Ewing's ever done for Dread there's right. two others one in the Meg which is pretty good and there's his first ever Dread story in the prog um, a whole new Dread um, which is great as well um, so but yeah pick up those two collections and Trifecta and you've got you've got the lot and Blaze of Glory is on the 2000 AD store that one's quite readily yes. available yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic stuff well we look forward to what eclectic grab bag oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> that you might choose next time um, we'll just say we've been at Lawless today. It's the Saturday. We've had a full day, packed in quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, for a day that, yeah, it, it seems it was almost, well, I mean, here it is, you know, we're, we're sort of five in the afternoon. Um, it seems like I, I don't know, it's just shot by. It just yeah. seems like I've been here for 90 minutes. And yet I have had a dozen 15 volume side and I've had, long long chats with uh half a dozen um uh you know 2000 AD contributors and very short chats with another half dozen um Fraser Irving um spoke so long to me made me miss a session <laughs> um but uh, yeah it's it's really really phenomenal it's just lovely running into people in the queue and and seeing people doing sketches uh yeah and people just full of joy since they've got sketches and, and getting getting all sorts of stuff signed. I saw somebody in front of me at the um, at the panel that we were just at uh, who had Prog 1 was signed by, I think he was, I mean, it looks like he's got Prog 1 signed by about 12 different people. And I think he was just filling in blanks today. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing how mm. many people have got so many things and everybody is so happy to chat and sign. And, you know. It is absolutely the best convention for British comic book fans Mm. Um, it is the place where you're going to get actually to spend a little bit of time with the creators Mm. because you know apart from obviously Dave Gibbons who was either on panels or busy signing most of the day but most people you could get to at some point sketches prints commissions Mm. signing things chat um, and you get great conversations with the fans in the queues as well. Not that the sure. queues are very big anyway. Not at all. Um, and you get to see what other people are getting done. And, you know, some of the sketches and pieces of original art and commissions that people were picking up just boggle the mind. And, of course, there was the Steve Dillon exhibit 
Um, I'm, I'm holding off to tomorrow. Oh, you're doing that tomorrow. Well, yeah. it will blow your socks off. It was okay, just, right. you know, the quality of the Steve Dillon work in there. Mm. Um, yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, Lawless is just wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, and we've fantastic. had a, you know, it's a beautiful sunny day in Bristol. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a chance, come to Bristol next year for Lawless. Um, it's highly recommended. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe I I need to plan my trip. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, it's nice to have you over here, Giles. Yes. Well, fantastic. I mean, I, you know, um, uh, I flew into Edinburgh a few uh, days ago from from Dubai um, and saw some friends. And yes, I did stop off in Newcastle to see some more friends on the way down. And I'm staying with my mum for a bit, and I'm seeing my sisters in London. And th- that's all true, but it's also flim flam. The reason I'm here from Dubai in Bristol is for Lawless. Yes. So, yeah, I'm having a, a whale of a time. And, um, yeah, so really looking forward to tomorrow. Excellent stuff. Um, we're coming up on the hour. Anything else that you wanted to mention of your own? Um, not for me, but I will say that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough um, great things about um, Richard Stark's uh, Parker books. There's 24 of them in total. There's another four from another spin-off character that works with Parker and has his own little little run. Um, I'd recommend all of them. They're all they're pretty much all superb. They're all very slim reads, um, you know, less than two hundred pages. Um, and if you can't do books without pages, uh, sorry, books without pictures, uh, the late great Darwin Cook has written, and I'm sure he was going to do more. Um, but was uh, cut short by his uh, premature death uh, about five or six years ago. But he has adapted um, and drawn four Parker books, um, which are all superb. It's for IDW, so there's another sort of kind of, you know, dread dread connection there. Uh, so the four are The Hunter, which is the first one, um, The Outfit, uh, which is the third Parker book, um, The Score, which is probably the best. It's an amazing story about... Parker and a team knocking off an entire town. Brilliant. And Slayground as well, which is one of the later books, um, but a lot of fun. And he he makes a few tweaks to a few of the stories and changes one or two of the characters um, and uh, slices out a few of the um, subplots, but they are all excellent. At least two of them were done uh, while um, Donald Westlake, the author, was was still alive and he thoroughly approved of them. The Westlake estate loves them. So, yeah, uh, uh, any of the Parker books, highly recommended. And if you need pictures with your words, any one of the four um, Darwin cookbooks, the score, if you want one of them. Right. I, I haven't read them, but I... I know that a couple of the American comic book podcasts I follow mm. rave about the Darwin Cook adaptations mm. has probably been the best adaptations, yeah. you know, not count well, in, including the films, you know. I don't know. I, I, I would say as much as I love and like uh, some of the some of the films, I mean, I, I love Point Blank with Lee Marvin. Um, and in fact, bizarrely, I went in with super low expectations, but Parker from about five years ago with Jason Statham and um, J-Lo was really good <laughs> it was really good um, I mean again I went in with zero expectations and came out with a smile on my face um, yeah I don't know I think of the adaptations I think I would go for the Darwin Cook books not the movies because again Point Blank is superb but it's slightly different from The Hunter Ugh, you know the score with Jim Brown R.I.P. last week very big loss to cinema and sports um, is great but it's sort of a little bit flabby and you know and 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 so yeah i think the darwin cooks are the are the best even better than the movies okay well i shall try and put a link if i remember to the darwin cook books in the show notes as well as link to blaze of glory which is readily available this one's slightly harder to get hold of but you can go to ebay uh, it's great stuff. Thank you again, Giles, for giving up your time. You know, at the end of a long, busy day. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a great pleasure. We'll probably be back on Zoom next time, I guess. But we'll see. Uh, thank you very much. Great, you're very welcome. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. Find all these links at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, Mastodon, and the 2080 forums. Email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Until next time, from here in Bristol at Lawless, it's goodbye from me and... And also in person, it's goodbye from me. 
Bye.